Well, good morning. Turn to the book of Ruth. It's going to be found in between Judges and 1 Samuel this morning. Uh, it's in the Old Testament. There is no shame in going to the table of contents to find your page number. In Scripture, if, if you don't own a Bible, use the Bibles in front of you. Take it home. It'd be our gift to you if you don't own one. We'd love for you to have one. As you're turning there, I just want to celebrate just a few things with you as a church. Uh, there is, boy, there is not a better time to be at this church than I, I feel like than, than now. It's just amazing what God is doing. Last week, we celebrated um, a couple of different things. First and foremost, uh, we had more people attend Graceland Baptist Church last week other than Easter and Christmas than in a long, long, long time. We had 1,539 people attend Graceland. Isn't that incredible? Can we just say that? Yeah. We also celebrated the debt being retired as a church. We are debt-free as a church. Isn't that incredible? Can we just say thank you, the Lord, for that? And that allows us, we were putting 5% of our ministry dollars uh, toward our $2.6 million budget that goes towards seeing lives transformed all around this area and around the world. We are putting 5% of it towards debt retirement. Well, now we can take that 5% and we can put it to critical projects, such as keeping our parking lot um, actually safe. You know, if you don't keep up your, your, your own driveway, what happens? Well, you have to put a new one in, right? Well, we don't want to put in a, we don't have to repave. That's a lot of concrete and asphalt out there. So we just have to keep up and be good stewards of what we've been given. Um, there's nothing fun about that, okay, but that's certainly the case. Maybe some of you got excited about the new striping. Uh, I did, okay, but maybe you didn't. But then also, we're going to refresh and really kind of redo the, the children's uh, GBC Kids Ministry Building area. We're excited about that. It's been a while. It's been run down over time with great traffic. Well, now we want to revitalize that. And then third, we are going to put more resources and augment our giving towards missions, not just here locally, but around the world. So guys, this is an exciting time. And then finally, we celebrated last week, nine people going public in their faith through baptism. Isn't that great? What a great day last week we had. That was a golf clap, okay? Like, you were, you were actually more excited about that last song. Could we say thank you, God, for what he did? Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Well, hopefully you found Ruth chapter 1. We're going to be there this morning. Um, we're getting ready for Christmas. It's just a few months away, and we're excited about Christmas and what um, it holds for us at Graceland and even for your family. And uh, as I was thinking about Christmas, I was thinking about a few years ago when uh, I allowed my, my wife and my two sisters to choose the movie that we would go see. And that was a big mistake for me. So we get there. They said, okay, right, it's a chick flick, but you'll like it. It's funny. It's a comedy. I was like, okay, at least I'll laugh. I'm not a huge chick flick guy, but all right, I'll go. So I was a little bit peeved, first of all, that tickets were like $15 each. And then, you know, the, the, the all-you-can-eat popcorn was like $50. And then the, you got to get a Coke slushy to go along with it. So I dropped a grand going to the movie theater. So I wasn't in a good mood ap after that. So I sit down and a one minute into the movie, they start breaking out in song. And I thought, okay, it's bad enough when you have a chick flick. And then you add on top of it, they're singing. It's a musical? I turned to my wife and she goes, I didn't know. I was like, yeah, right, you didn't know. But I was stuck there for the next couple hours. The only time that I think it's appropriate to sing in a movie is if it's the Ohio State fight song. It just goes over and over and over and over again. All right? Hey, now here's the deal about a chick flick, real quickly. Let me give you every single chick flick known to man. Ready? Boy meets girl. 
boy and girl fall in love. Boy and girl break up. They have a fight. Then boy and girl get back together and they live. That's it. I just saved you all the money going forward. And you don't have to rent it on. Guys, aren't you glad you came to church this morning? You could have been doing all these other kinds of things, but today you got great wisdom, all right? You can go home and be like, man, that was the best service I've been to in a long time. Now, the reason why we love these type of movies, so many love these type of movies, is because they love the fairy tale. My girls love the fairy tale, the fairy tale. Cinderella and others alike, the romance, the redemption and the relationships. We've fallen in love with the fairy tale. So many people have. In fact, that is why the average wedding today, are you ready for this, costs over $45,000. Now, you men here today, maybe even women, you're not going to hear another word I just said. The whole time, you're now you're just broken to a, a sweat because you're thinking, if you have daughters, of how much it may cost you. But I need you to refocus for a few minutes. You know, over the next six weeks, seven weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Ruth. And we're going to be going verse by verse through the book of Ruth. You're not going to want to miss as we unveil the book of Ruth. Some have said that the book of Ruth is the greatest short story ever written. Some have also said it's the greatest ancient fairy tale. And I would agree with that. It's inspiring. It's refreshing. And when everything is negative today, what an incredible, insightful, refreshing book that inspires even seemingly ordinary people just like me and just like you. We're going to discover why it is the greatest short story ever written about romance. So many of us have maybe lost romance in our life. Well, we're going to discover what that may look like in the coming weeks about relationships. What does it look like and how the decisions we make and impact those we love the most? And then finally, redemption. How even in the brokenness, even though our, our fractured lives may be in pieces, there is a God who can put back any piece back together. I'm excited about this as we look, through, look at it together. Now, like any fairy tale, before the damsel can be rescued by the prince and they can live happily ever after, there's always a dark and foreboding time, right, in that fairy tale. And today, we are going to enter into a dark and foreboding time in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. So look at it with me. It says, In the days when the judges ruled. In the days when the judges ruled. Now, I just want you to stop there for a moment, and I want you to zoom out, and I want you to understand what that means when he says, or when they say, that the, when the days when the judges ruled ruled. Now Joshua, the book of Joshua, records Israel crossing the Jordan into the land that God had provided for them. And then the next book, Judges, Joshua Judges, Judges, is a 400 account of the history of Israel. They weren't ruled by a king, but they were ruled by men and women that God had chosen, but they predominantly ruled in the wrong way. The first judge to rule was Othniel. And even though he did a good job, he had a weird name. Wouldn't you agree? Okay. And then the last judge was Samson. And how many of you heard of Samson in your life? Raise a hand. There's a lot of us have heard of Samson. Well, he broke all these promises to God. And the most famous one is he would cut his hair. Judges 21 actually kind of sums up, I think, this environment quite well. It says, everyone did that which was right in his own age. Not unlike a day that we live in today. There was a struggle back then of moral relativism and excessive individualism and unrestrained self-expression. Even back then, it sounds familiar, the unrest of the political climate was very, very unstable. This was the book in the times of Judges. But then we come to the book of Ruth and it's like a, a breath of fresh air. 
J. Vernon McGee says, The book of Ruth is a pearl of this, in the swine pen of the judges. So, we continue this morning. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. There was a famine in the land. Now, we, we, we go, okay, they, so they didn't have food. But this is a lot different. If you were to read the Hebrew here, the Hebrew would give you a much bigger indication of what was going on. Bethlehem, where they're actually living at the time, in the Hebrew language is known and said to be called the house of bread. So there is no bread in the house of bread. I mean, how ironic, right? And Bethlehem was a place flowing with, with bread and resources and barley and almonds. This was the environment. This is the, the, the demographic of the area. They were facing a trial, a problem. Now, you may not be facing an epidemic of famine with regards to food. We've been very blessed. But maybe today you're standing, looking, staring at your own trial, your own problem, your own famine. We all face them, right? Whether you're young or you're old alike, we all face them in this room. Maybe you're in a famine today or a trial or a problem. And it certainly is interrupting the fairy tale, isn't it? Maybe you're experiencing a famine in your spiritual belief in life. Maybe you've caused to question everything concerning the faith that you've always held true. Or maybe the, it's the old flame that used to burn so bright has now grown and maybe there's not even an ember left. And maybe the, you haven't been in the scriptures like, you, like you've been in the past and, and maybe your prayer life is dull and it's like a five-year-old Ritz cracker, just stale as it can be. Or maybe perhaps you, you don't share Christ like you used to. Or, or even worse, even worse, friend, you just don't sense any connection with God. Now, there could be many reasons. One in particular could be the fact that there's sin in your life. Maybe it's your thought process or something in your life and God is willing and able, if you will go to him and ask him forgiveness, he will restore that and he will restoke those embers. And maybe you need to do that this morning. But maybe there's a famine in your life when it comes to suffering. Maybe today you got a doctor's bill, a prognosis, and it's not good. Or maybe your friend did. Or you've been ailing, and, and I heard someone say the other day, getting old isn't for wimpy people. And I would agree with that in a lot of ways. And maybe that's you today, and you just feel like you've been in a famine. Or, or maybe you're in a financial famine. Maybe there are more bills than there are deposits in your bank account, and it is stressing you out, and it's clamping you down. Or maybe you're going through a famine in a relationship. Maybe it's in your marriage. You know, even the best marriages go through famine. They, they go through the valleys and the mountaintops. Maybe you came in today and you were all smiles, you and your spouse, but there has been no smiles in your own house and, and behind your door in weeks. Or maybe there's a friendship or there's unforgiveness or something has been going on and there is quite a trial that you're facing. So we can all be really where they are, the main characters we're going to be introduced to. We can relate to this in a very practical way. Let's be introduced to the characters that are facing the famine. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women who 
one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Milan and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. All right, we're going to stop right there, and we're going to look at these, ne- these few verses um, and really diagnose some things. So we're introduced to six different characters in the book of Ruth. And the sad thing is, is that many of them actually die. So we're introduced first to Elimelech. This is Naomi's husband, and his name means the Lord is my king. But he doesn't live up to his name, and we're gonna, we've already read that, and we're going to learn that even more. He under-delivers his, on his name. And then his wife's name is Naomi, and her name means gracious one. And then we're introduced to their two boys, Milan, which actually means puny or weakling. And then the second boy, Killian, which means whiny. I'm convinced that they named their boys in their toddler years. That's what I'm convinced of. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. I recently read about a contest of people with the worst names. There was over a thousand submitted. This is just recently. And these were some of the, the leaders in the clubhouse when it came to bad names. The early favorites of the judges, one of them was Chastity Belts, Wrigley Fields, Justin Credible. And a girl whose father was an auto mechanic, he didn't realize it or not, but he actually named her Michelle Lynn, which is, sounds a lot like a tire. And then there was a fisherman here today. I thought this was pretty funny. He named his two daughters Brooke and Rainbow Trot. So choose wisely, moms and dads, choose wisely. So the boys, they, they eventually marry. And, 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 and uh, Milan ver- married Orpah, and her name means strong-necked. Okay, and then Killian marries Ruth, and her name means comfort. So you have Mr. Puny married to Mrs. Strongneck, and Mr. Whiny marries Miss Comfort. All right, so that's the scenario that we're in. And we can all observe that they actually live quite up to their names, all of them, in the book of Ruth, except for Elimelech. And that's where I want to focus today. I want to look at Elimelech with you, because he would not live up to his name. He would face a decision. He would face a trial. He would face a crisis in his life. And when he faced that crisis, he would make a decision. Let me just tell you, men, in this place today, you have unbelievable influence in your life and in your family's life and in your, in your work environment and in this country and world. It's unfair the amount of influence you have. Look at me, whether you're young or you're older like men. You, my friend, what you do and how you say and what you decide greatly impacts those around you. One author writes, we can do one of three things when it comes to a crisis. We can endure the crisis, we can escape the crisis, or we can enlist the crisis. If we, if we endure the crisis, it ends up leading us to a place of bitterness and brokenness, and we're going to find that out next week. If we escape the crisis, it's just it's going to be nearsighted and we're going to miss out on the blessings of God or we can enlist the crisis and that means that we can actually make the crisis our servant and end up working for us according to Romans chapter 8 verse 28. And what we find, Elimelech, what does he do? He doesn't endure it, does he? Nor does he enlist it. What does he do? What does he do? He escapes. And escaping is really a convenient decision. It's not conviction. You see, he chooses convenience over conviction in his life. 
And there's certainly the case where we're going to face a problem, a trial, we're facing it right now, where we must decide, is it going to be convenience or is it going to be conviction? I was nearsighted for a long portion of my life. It got bad as I was in the latter parts of high school into college, and I'd get glasses. And so I would forget to wear them at times. And um, if I wanted to see distances, I had to wear glasses. Up close, I was fine. So I'm walking around my college campus. I think I was a junior, senior that year. And I'm walking through this big hallway. And one of my uh, dorm roommates, he's leaning over his computer, this computer and he's typing an email or something. And it was the custom in our dorm, if somebody was didn't, well, not paying attention and they're at their backside exposed, we would have a book or something and we would just come up and, you know, like that and just a little bit of raising them off the ground. And I'm left-handed and I played baseball and I had a good hip turn in baseball. And so I, I did what any other, uh, you know, guy would do in that dorm. And so I just whipped that book out as I'm walking by and his backside is turned and I just like that lay into him. And literally as I hit him, he turns his head and I realize, well, that's not anybody I know. <laughs> and I didn't know what else to do. So I just kind of reacted and went like that and just walked away. <laughs> he quit college the next day, I'm pretty sure. But see, see, convenience is nearsighted. It's right in front of you and it looks good, but conviction is 2020. Convenience is escape. Convenience is based on emotion, but conviction is based on principle. Convi- convenience is oriented towards the here and now, but conviction, it's oriented towards the future. Convenience is influenced by what others think of us, but a conviction is influenced by what God thinks. Convenience abandons for the sake of immediate pleasure, but conviction, it, it senses an obtaining of reward and reward later. See, God is, God is looking for men and women, young and old alike. They're going to choose conviction over convenience. He's looking. He's wanting to give influence to those individuals. I want to ask you, friends, when you face a trial, when you face a problem, when you face something going on in your life, what are you going to choose? We all have a Limelech, I think, more in us than we realized. And, and we're going to learn, it as you get out your listening guide this morning, we're going to learn that he chose several different ways, convenience over conviction. The first way we learn is that he went on feeling rather than faith. He went on feeling rather than faith. And you know, if we understand the circumstances of his life, you, you might not even blame him. He had four mouths to feed, right? And there was a lot of pressure for him to make sure that his family was kept up uh, well. And, and so you know what? He, in, the, in the middle of his emotions, he caved in and he moves the family to Moab. Now here's the thing. That's not a big deal to you. You may go, well, there's nothing wrong with moving your family to make sure that you're provided for in a better way. But you've got to understand the history. According to Genesis chapter 19, you have this guy named Lot. And his daughters get him intoxicated, and then they have sex with him. And one of the daughters, the oldest, has a child, and they name the child Moab. And Moab is later named, given, is given that land's name. So in order to move to Moab, that's like slapping God upside the face altogether. That he would disobey a commandment of God because of his feelings. Have you ever considered the negative impact of your disobedience on your children's life? 
Have you ever thought of it? See, it's not just your life that you're impacting, guys. You're impacting your children and your children's children and your children's children's children. For, for him, uh, he would swap one famine for three deaths, for three funerals. Have you ever considered the negative impact that you, that you have on not only your children, but your, your spouse? That, that Naomi, she was left in a different country when, when he would die with no support, with no resources, left on her own. Abraham, he made a similar miscalculation. He leaves Egypt when he shouldn't have. He should have waited on God. This is to happen over and over and over again because of our feelings overshadow so many times our own faith. And, and how do you choose faith over feeling? How do you do that? Well, we must know this, that, that emotions, they come and they go, but God's promises, they never go. The, the emotions, they can be high and they can be low and and there's variations. You got the right vitamin D right in your body. If it's sunny, you're in a better mood. If it's cloudy, you're not. If you watch a good show on TV and it makes you laugh, you're in a better mood. Those feelings come and then they go. But friends, the, the faithfulness of God, it's, it's steady. And we must put our faith on that. And, and God sovereignly ordains us. In fact, he says that, the, that the, the righteous will live by faith. And when we refuse to live by this kind of faith, we are like slapping God aside the head. Then we come to the second way Elimelech acted more out of convenience and conviction. Uh, if you want to look at it with me in your notes, he, he chose the greener grass. He was infected with this virus. And maybe you've heard it before. It's called the greener grass syndrome. The, 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 the yard over there is much better than my yard. And see, Moab can be seen from the hills of Bethlehem. In fact, Moab was only 50 miles away. And, and I love how one author reflects upon this. He shares a few things, and I, I wanted to share them with you. Elimelech could have stood on one of the ridges overlooking the dry grass and brown fields of Bethlehem and could easily see less than 50 miles just on the other side of the Dead Sea, the green, lush fields of Moab. Maybe he's thinking, oh, you know what? I'll just go over there for a little bit. Boy, how, look how good that looks. Man, what would my family be able to enjoy? And, and you get a little bit of the sense of what he's processing in, in the scripture. We read it. It says, first of all, that they went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Other translations say they went to sojourn. And the word sojourn means it's, it's, a, it's a temporary thing that you're temporarily going through things. And then in verse 2, it says they went to Moab and they lived there. And then in verse 4, they had lived about 10 years. You see, the problem is that choosing the green grass is costly to your life. It is costly to Elimelech's life as well, but it's not at first. You may choose the green grass and for a little while, what is it? It's good. It's, it's really good. The green grass is luscious and it's, it's beautiful. And it, man, it, it's not, it doesn't feel like your old dying fescue, does it? But over time, it really costs you. At first, it doesn't cost him, right? That for 10 years, they had a great life. They had two weddings. Life was good. But here's the thing. The greener grass syndrome leaves you outside of the friends and outside of the blessing of God. And, and God is no longer in the picture for them. I mean, this is cause for concern. It's no wonder that in these first five verses of Ruth, 
You don't hear God's name mentioned once, and the rest of Ruth, you see his name mentioned. See, whenever you're infected by this virus called the, the greener grass syndrome, we start to rationalize things. And I wonder if Elimelech said, well, I'll go over there with my family, but I won't get involved in those things. Or if I get involved in those things, I'll come back quickly to those things. But the problem is once you get into the greener grass syndrome, friends, you, you, you end up just kind of losing perspective. And he certainly does. Here's what he does. He, he introduces his wife to two Moabite women, which was even a bigger slap in the face to God. Here's what you have to understand about the, the grass is always greener syndrome. Once you're infected, you lose sight. And once you lose sight, you lose sensitivity to God. And once you lose sensitivity to God, the compromise begins to happen. Just a quick trip. Just a quick phone call. Just one personal expense charged on the business account. Just one. Just one little lie. Just one purchase. Just one click of the mouse. See, when the grass is greener, it actually grows much more into a wilderness. And we read about Elimelech and we go, Oh, Elimelech, come on, buddy. Get with the, get with the program. Come on, buddy. But when we're facing a problem, when we're facing a famine, when we're facing a trial, temptation, we can fall into the same sin habits they can. Here's how it begins. And you, and you see this pattern, verses 1 and following in Ruth. First of all, it begins with a look. You're on your, your own deal, you're doing your own life, and all of a sudden, one glance. In verse 1, he looks and he sees Moab. And then after a... a, a Enough time goes by, not only as he looked, but then I was beginning to long for Moab. It's no longer what you have, it's what you can get, and now that grass is much greener, right? And then after enough longing, what does he do? He leaves. And I can tell you this, that you and your life have those three L's whenever you're falling into the syndrome of the grass is always greener. There's the look, there's the longing, and then there's the leaving. I just want to encourage you this morning. Stay in your own yard. You see, the problem is the greener grass often's up as a graveyard. For Limelech it did, for his two sons it did. Stay in your own yard. This last week I had two conversations with two different uh, people because they wouldn't stay in their own yard. Man, let me just talk to you for a second. If you're asleep, wake up, okay? Here's, let me just tell you this. Here's the deal. Ready, man? Just for you. Stay in your own yard. The grass, isn't all, the grass is not going to be greener. There's weeds in that grass, just like there's weeds in your grass. Stay in your own yard. Stay in your own yard. It's not going to impact my life, but it will impact yours. Stay in your own yard. And you know what I'm talking about, right? Stay in your own. Everybody say that together. Ready? Stay in your own yard. You ladies in this, the house today, we're not going to get past you, okay? Stay in your own yard. When was the last time 
that you just said, you know what, I love my kids. I'm so thankful for them. I love my husband. I'm so thankful for them. I love my car, my house, everything about my income, everything. everything. I'm just so grateful for where I live. And I'm just so thankful. Stay in your own yard. Stay in your own yard. Stay in your own yard. Maybe that, that should become a, a mantra around here. Stay in your own yard. I like that. You see, when we stay in our own yard, it becomes to glor- we glorify God. We can stay on mission. We can do so many things that we're called to do. But when we are too busy, infected by the virus or the, wanting the other green grass, my friend, we have, we have lost our edge for the mission of Christ. And then the final way Elimelech, he acted more out of convenience than conviction, uh, is he focused on the physical and not the spiritual. He focused on the physical and not the spiritual. There's nothing wrong with wanting to provide for your family. There's nothing wrong with wanting to supply and, and go through things and make sure that there's provision. But there's a spiritual aspect that we must obey. Satan would tempt Jesus in the wilderness. And Satan in Matthew chapter 4 basically says, hey, will you, you want to eat this bread? You're hungry. And, and Jesus says, you know what? It's, it's about his will, not mine. It's his deal. It's not my deal. And I think so often the case, we believe in the midst of a trial or a, or a problem or something that we're facing, that if we go do it on our own, if we somehow physically try to provide for our life or physically take care of things without considering the spiritual, that we can accomplish these things. Look at our, look at our country, okay? Look at our country for a second. We're the wealthiest nation in the world. We're the freest nation in the world. Do all those physical things bring peace? No. It's like an umbrella, and we're given the protection of God underneath the umbrella with his provision and his will. But what happens is we're like, ah, you know what, I'll go go step outside from underneath the umbrella, and it's raining, and, and it's raining on us. And even though it's raining on us, we're like, oh, it's not too bad. See, I think that the problem with our country today, the problem with our world today, here's the problem. That there is no amount of physical dealings that is going to satisfy and heal what's going on. You know what's going to heal what's going on? Hitting the spiritual. And you know what hits the spiritual? When our sin is transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and when we, we walk away from sin and we follow the will of the Father. If you follow his will, there's always going to be a physical need. But the spiritual need is all, when you're following the will of God, that spiritual aspect should always lead the way. And I love what David said in the Psalms. He said, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not to see the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. You see, ladies and gentlemen, it's a sin issue wanting to do our own will to step out from underneath the provision of Almighty God when we must stay and follow the very provision of God. But here's the problem. We step outside of that all the time, don't we? That's why we have to be a a hospital for sinners because we are sinners. We have messed up. There is brokenness. And here's the good thing. And this is kind of a 
a, a little bit of quick window into the rest of the book of Ruth. But what God does is he takes the brokenness and he begins to redeem. Sweet, sweet, sweet redemption. And maybe today you find yourself in brokenness. Maybe you find that you're relating to Elimelech much more than you're comfortable with. Maybe you find yourself dealing more with and making decisions more out of convenience than conviction this morning. Friend, let me just share with you today. He can redeem and he can put back those pieces together. Even though they may be super glued back together and maybe there will be a little bit of wound that will take some healing, he will put those pieces back together again. Whether it's small or whether they're large, He is the God that redeems. He restores. He transforms your life. And that's sweet, sweet redemption. And if you find yourself here today, if you find yourself in a place where it's been convenience, 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 but today would you stop and we say it's time for conviction. Is that for you today? Am I speaking to some Elimelechs? Yes, because I look in the mirror and I'm an Elimelech so many times. But I want to share with you, I want to, I want to strongly encourage you, would you choose conviction over convenience?